Welcome to Cameras or Whatever, the podcast for the working photographer. I'm your host, Tyler Stellman, and with me is my co-host, Cameron Whitman. Hi, Tyler. We have an intro. It sounds awesome. <laughs> did you like it? I did. You know what I, I like about it is that you didn't record it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I think if, if you record it, then it's just going to sound really lame. There was this one podcast that I started listening to. It was about managing money, and the guy had this really super obnoxious intro. Mm. And the intro killed me. I couldn't like. It seemed like he had some good advice, but you know, the intro. I just it was just that's too the, much. That's why our intro is less than ten seconds long. Because I figure whatever kind of music you use for an intro, somebody's going to hate it. So the less of it there is, the the smaller the chances of alienating somebody with different musical taste. That's really smart perspective. That's absolutely true. Because I, I, even the ones that I like, I, I start to dislike. On the other hand, though, if you really like a, a show, or I found this, if I really like a show, I'll start to like what is clearly terrible music, just because I know it means the show's about to start. <laughs> <laughs> so it can go either way. That's pretty cool. What are we talking about this week? Uh, let's talk about shooting on the street. Street photography? Yeah, it's something that, that I get um, quite a lot of enjoyment out of. And it's more of a, it's, it's more of a personal ambition for me to shoot street photography because there's not a whole lot of commercial applications to it yeah but i i do get quite a lot of stock out of it oh and, do you yeah i'd be interested to hear about that because i mean for me it's completely a personal thing too i i, I really enjoy it when i succeed at it or when i feel like i'm getting uh, good stuff out of it but i don't well, i don't know what to do with it if yeah. there's people in the photo i can't license it and it's mm-hmm. obviously not commercial and the only places I see other people making money is, uh, you know, selling it. So it's, yeah, it's really a personal satisfaction thing for me. I would actually be curious to figure out how the heck people are selling it, <laughs> you know, outside <laughs> yeah. of royalty free or like uh, creative stock, you know, right. how, they, yeah. how they do that. Well, or in art galleries. Yeah. Um, so what do you, uh, like, what's your last street style shooting experience? Like where, where are you at with it lately? What have you been doing? So, um, I haven't had anything terribly exciting, nothing like out of the ordinary for myself, but, um, I usually, if I haven't had any satisfying shoots in a week, then on on the weekend, I'll try and slip into the city and do uh, Washington DC and, you know, just carry around a couple different cameras and, and just play. And it's awesome because I just put on some good music and, you know, like it either happens or it doesn't, you mm-hmm. know, I don't stress about it. And that's why I really love to take my film cameras because like, I'm not in a hurry to to burn through the film. Right. It's one of those things that it's, you can't really force it. No, you cannot. If, if there's just nothing in front of you. No, it's going to be stupid. Sometimes I do force it, but then I come home and I'm not happy with anything that I took. So. Yeah. You know, I feel like, you know, it's a shame because I really like to go hiking too. And I feel like that situation I'm way more forcing photography to happen than if I'm in the city. Cause in the city, like I'm just going to find stuff that I think is interesting. You know, it's funny that like, that is the same, they're both the same method of photography, really. Like you're walking around, uh, just observing and then shooting what's around you, but you'd never call them the same thing. No, you wouldn't. Yeah. Like nature photography or, or adventure photography is not, it's not usually the same group of people doing it. And but you employ a lot of the same methods and ideas. So it's, it's, it's curious. It's, it's interesting to see how any individual photographer can be really good at one and, and really bad at the other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, considering think, how similar in, in the city, the really big differentiation is uh, the people, right? How do you deal with potentially pissing off 
pedestrians as you uh you know as they is as, as they potentially see you taking their photos i think that's like a really common thing i've heard other people have anxiety about is how in other people's face are you willing to get or not or th- that like subtle interaction with other people i think can be tricky for for a lot of people to navigate i don't know is that something that you yeah totally worry about mm-hmm. stress about yeah, I mean, I uh, it's it's kind of interesting because I've actually found a method that I use. I don't take a lot of pictures of of random people, but so what I do is, you know, I do. Well, I guess it really just depends on on the flow of how the action is coming together. But um, I I try to play dumb, <laughs> right? And um, how does this I, camera work? <laughs> or you know, just like set up you know, prior to them arriving to where I'm going to actually take the shot. And so it looks like I'm already shooting something. Yeah. And really what I'm doing is I'm already focusing and, <laughs> totally, and then, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, making sure my exposure and everything. And then like that moment happens and I grab the shot. As long as you have a silent enough shutter, right? Well, I, a lot of the time when I'm shooting on the street, I'm using my X 100 S, which oh, is, you can't silent. hear it at all. Yeah. So it's, that is, Oh man, what a great camera for the street. Cool. Yeah, I, I I think that's not an uncommon uh, a method. I've I've definitely employed that as well. Mm-hmm. What this does remind me of is that I found the best the 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 best street photography I was able to accomplish was when we were in um, Tokyo and Seoul, so Korea and Japan. And mm. um, I think this this social element was a part of it because people are so polite there that I didn't feel like I was pissing people off because they didn't show as much aggression. So in, in America, like we were in LA recently or, or even I find this in New York, which is great for for other people's street photography. They do a great job, but I have this, I have more anxiety because I feel um, a bit more of the tension from people of, Mm -hmm. of not wanting this photo to happen. Um, And, I just somehow didn't feel it. And I I could tell that that was like making me, I'm sure nobody around me was enjoying that. I was being slightly more aggressive because I was, because uh, th- there was more politeness around me mm-hmm. because it just made me the, <clears throat> you know, the tourist that's uh, a little too trigger happy, but it's <laughs> like, but I, I felt that, uh, that social element in, in how I was just like willing to, to, to shoot. So I don't know. I thought, I, I thought that was an interesting moment of self-realization yeah you know i, I kind of wonder in the, the spirit of this conversation i kind of wonder like how people in my area like in, in washington dc like i think that there's just kind of like a an a sentiment that doesn't need to even be mentioned about being watched <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know so like i think when you when you point a camera at them it just it they kind of finally have somebody to like point their aggression towards <laughs> yeah to take it all out on. yeah and so like i i definitely get the feeling that in um in cities like new york and washington and like, I, i'm i'm way more careful about how i how i go about it yeah i can see that you know what's amazes me is that some people like you know you see a lot of the tourists and the foreign tourists I think get away with a lot more because people just recognize them as being tourists. You know, it's not like just, it sounds to me like you need to buy a fanny pack and a a visor. and uh, (laughs) Maybe wear a Canadian hat. Yeah, 
Totally. If you sew a Canadian flag to your backpack. Yeah, that's we we almost did that when we went to Europe. <laughs> All right, let's talk uh, practical stuff, though. Mm-hmm. When you go out, you're using this little camera, this little Fuji, mm-hmm. and it's got a, a fixed 35 millimeter lens on it. Correct. Is that the but technically the, it's it's 23, but yeah, in oh, right, right. sensor it's 35. So. Is that the ultimate? Is that the ultimate street photography lens of all time? Um, I of all time, I don't know. I, I know this is like I've watched uh, flame wars on bulletin boards about this. So I'm just, yeah, I'm asking to be controversial because, um, you know, I think usually people's opinion is split probably between the 35 and a 50, right? Yeah. Um, I, I prefer 35 on the street. Yeah. Um, I find it to just be just enough to, to, you know, be able to like feel people, you know, to like feel whatever it is that they're expressing. Hmm. Um, it's just wide enough where you can get a feeling of the environment, um, but also still like actually feel the people, you yeah, know, get, and get I think some of the context around them as well. Exactly. And I think with a 50, you know, it really, you have to be far enough away to be able to get both of those things at the same time. Um, otherwise, you know, it's, it turns into, you know, just a short portrait lens. Yeah. I, th- I think um, you do. I feel like I wouldn't, I miss more photos if the 50 is on. Yeah. But but I kind of also like them a little more potentially because <laughs> yeah, having, yeah, yeah. because ha- when you get it, because having that ex- extra reach can like bring you just a little bit more into the scene. Um, but yeah, at the same time, it's like I get less photos also oh. a little less is in focus. And, you know, I think that the way that the, that a 50 millimeter condenses the scene is, is just, it's, it's one of my favorite looks, you know? Um, so to me, it's like a, a well executed 50 yeah, is is kind of my favorite on yeah. the street, but mm-hmm. in reality, a thirty five just it makes more sense a lot of the time, right? Yeah. So I like to do environmental portraiture. So I, you know, like I really love to thirty five for that. You know, so that's one of the, my favorite reasons to take it with me because it's like if I if especially if I'm with other people that don't mind me taking their photo, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I usually like to find like an, an interesting wall or something like that and, and take an honest portrait of them. Um, actually, you know what? I just started a new gallery. On oh, my, I saw that on, on, Oh no, I saw it on Facebook. Nah, I didn't give this one yet. I haven't shown it to anybody. Oh, yet. something secret. I thought it was your latest little, your series of film photos from Victoria. No, well, that some of those are in this gallery. But what it is is, I started a um, I started a gallery on Stocksy uh, called Yashi Portraits, mm-hmm. um, and they're all portraits with my Yashika. And I didn't realize that there was I was making something here, and there's a, a continuity to it, um, and it's it's kind of the same thing because you know, like the. The Yashica is 80 millimeters, so I guess that's equivalent to 40 in 35. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically it's, it's the same view except for it's six by six, so it's a perfect square. Um, and I just I didn't realize what I was doing, but I was making all these portraits um, using that particular distance and dimension. And, and there's there's just when you look at the the collection all together, you see the the common thread. And they're all matching by accident. Well, they're not perfectly matching, but you 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 feel like there's mm. there's a series coming together, yeah. you know. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and and it's it totally by accident. Like I think it's just that you know that's why I like having a lot of cameras is because each camera 
you know, it makes sense at, at a certain time. Yeah, you know? and it, it and, makes you behave differently too when you know the the like a strength or weakness of it. Yeah, you, you lean towards or away from those. Exactly, and so I think I've I've discovered my my favorite thing to do with with uh, the six by six TLR, you know. And man, if you don't have one, you just, I know you don't have one. <laughs> yeah, if yeah, no, I don't have one. Yeah. They're so cheap, Tyler. <laughs> I'm sure they are, but the film's not. Uh sure, sure. the the well what I was enjoying a lot earlier in the year, but I have not used it on our last couple of trips was the Context T two. Yeah. Um I so, love your pictures of that. Yeah, it's thirty five and it's really it is really great, but I also I don't know. It's like sometimes my mind just isn't seeing anything. I brought like we just got back from a trip to LA, mm-hmm. and and earlier in the year I'd, done, I'd posted a, a gallery from LA. I think you saw a bunch of those. Yeah, they're beautiful. And this time I had the same camera and I had film with me, and I just didn't see anything. I didn't like mm-hmm. nothing. It was never clicking to like okay, pull your camera, like pull out that extra camera that's in the bag that is yeah. just for street photography. Um. Because we were, it was mostly Anya and I shooting um, uh, this stuff for her blog, which is sort of our like, you know, business shooting on on this trip. So we're like, we're working, and especially because on on all of that, we're shooting as a team and we're like together. And then when, like, I can, if we're in the middle of that, it kind of screws everything up if I'm like, wait a minute, let me run over here and, and shoot something else. So, like, finding that balance between per the, what personal work which is the street photography and mm-hmm. what is kind of the professional thing that you might be working on or, or even just having your head in that professional space that's i think you just nailed it because i, I think that you know whenever i'm in a, in, in a work mode you know and i'm somewhere and like i have a street camera and I'm, it's exactly the same thing like i just can't i'm not there i'm not yeah. thinking about that and i you know i almost feel like there's you know it's a like fuel right like you only have so much um, and, and, you know, so like the creative fuel, you have to almost save it. Yeah. Just knowing that like, you know, you've got a job to do. Well, I, but when you describe it that way, it sounds like you're excusing it. Whereas I feel like I, like I should, <laughs> well, otherwise like, I shouldn't, I'm slipping or something. Yeah. But otherwise you'd be forcing it and which is, you know, I mean, I, I think I'd rather excuse it than force it. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't remember what I said earlier. In the, I know I said earlier that forcing it is bad, but I also sometimes know that if I force it, if I force something bad, then mm-hmm. it gets the, it gets the cogs moving. That's true. And then like a, a few minutes later, something good shows up. Right. Yeah. Like if you're like, I don't know, I've got a cup full of pens in front of me and I'm looking at it right now and it does not look photogenic. So maybe I take a photo of it now, but then, I could spend another 10 minutes and actually create a nice photo of cup and pens. Um, if I decide, if I started moving forward <laughs> right. with the idea, right. Cup and pens is a horrible example. I've actually got a potted plant. How about this? <laughs> a plant. Maybe I could turn into something nice, but do you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. um, if you decide to start pursuing it, you can end up there. And if you don't start then so I don't know, I'm, I'm putting two, contradictory statements out there but no i mean I, I i see that i mean i think that's exactly what happened to me last weekend when i was i was hiking you know because like the i all of the shots that i took with my fuji were were just crap and i i just already deleted all of them and uh you know like i did take my um my one of my nikon film cameras and and you know had a longer lens on it and so like 
after I had been taking some photos, then like I'd kind of started wanting to to make photos. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of plays into exactly what you're saying. And then, you know, like uh, just I ended up getting lucky and, and having a, a few opportunities where, you know, my son was doing something awesome, you know. And so I could take a couple shots of him and feel like, okay, well, at least I got a shot that I like. Well, here's the thing that I have experienced. I don't know if you have, but is that I'll just go and be shooting what I feel like is completely random garbage. Like it's, you know, just whatever's in front of me. I'm just kind of using a camera for the fun of using a camera. And then later when I think I just shot crap, um, but, but, and, and this is part of that, you know, I'm shooting with Anya. So he kind of works a team. And that means that I have somebody else that looks at a lot of like basically everything I shoot. Yeah. And that she'll come <laughs> across stuff and she'll be like, this is great. You should like, why didn't you post these? Why didn't, mm-hmm. why didn't you use all of this? And like, uh, cause it wasn't real. It was, I was just messing around. And then, um, somebody else's perspective on it can be really different from like, you know, I'm just thinking about the mood I was in while I was shooting, which is mm-hmm. like, this is all garbage and doesn't count as photography. <laughs> um, but then there, there can definitely be something hidden in there. Um, and then I've also had that feeling of self-discovery where I'm like shooting for a whole day. I'm like that day went so badly, nothing came out of it. And then eventually, sure enough, there, there was, there was something that I, that I find in the pile. Yeah. And sometimes it's, it's just amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's Ex- a one-off and you're accidentally like, amazing. Do this? Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, what do you, what, so what do you do with your street photography now? We, we kind of said a lot of the time it's for personal stuff. How do you, how do you ever turn it into stock photos? Well, so with stock, I think that there's, there's just certain things that you, you recognize as, as being useful or not. Right. So, um, backgrounds, you know, textures, stuff like that. Um, it's just something I've, I've, I've always shot. It was actually one of the first things that I started shooting. I, when I, I think sticking. a lot of us start there. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think that, that, you know, I, I I was coming at it from I actually thought it was really dumb at first, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I I was always just like, oh wow, a wall, great. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I went to a, a local museum called the Phillips Collection and saw um, a retrospective on Aaron Siskind. Right, who you introduced me to this name? Yeah, and and just yeah, just completely opened my mind, you know, especially because at that time I was just starting a large format film class. Mm-hmm. And uh, needed something to to shoot with that, you know, because with large format, like obviously, like you can't shoot people moving around, <laughs> you know, like right. You gotta yeah, slow yeah. down. Yeah, so like it was either landscapes or, or or textures, you know. So you know, in in that class, you know, it was I, I believe it was like part of the the idea was to create something cohesive. So, um, you know, I was like, wow, that that Aaron Siskin thing really inspired me so i'm gonna go and i'm gonna try and do something like that and i i had no idea how hard it would be to make photography like that and so now it's it's just always kind of been like a back of my mind challenge you know like whenever i see that those awesome textures i try to grab them but i think that the the difference for me is that like recognizing when when a texture is awesome versus completely lame (laughs) yeah you know because there's just no need for for any more lame textures you know right i mean there's yes <laughs> that's a, that can be a really challenging one to turn it into something worth shooting you know yeah well you know i mean i can th- think of some people who oh, you know, even yeah, currently yeah. Yeah. but it's hard but it is hard right like it's not 
right it's, it's easy to to look pretty boring yeah. yeah i mean it's really interesting to see one person do it and and, mm-hmm. and and be like wow that's that's awesome and then you know to see other people try to do that and it's like i actually went through and not that easy <laughs> i was talking about that bulk scanner last week yeah and uh that because of that i went through and scanned a lot of my like very beginning of photography stuff which i hadn't looked at for a long time oh curious so there's i mean there's quite a bit of that in there like tons of just I don't know, photos of nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I haven't looked at it with a critical eye yet, but I, I kind of want to go through and try to find like, you know, what could be a, a little gallery of like, you know, my first year of photography that yeah. probably at that time I didn't, I didn't have the taste to know which ones really were better or worse. But, um, but you know, now I could probably go back and actually, you know, I could make a little selection of them that turned up pretty nicely. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, a lot of them are just the ground. <laughs> you know corner in an alley yeah yeah it's awesome corner in an alley too <laughs> yeah photography 102 <laughs> yeah exactly so um when you're using your 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 contacts um what like can you describe what that camera's like yeah so the contacts a lot of the way i think about it is or use it is based on its uh focusing methods because mm-hmm. it's all autofocus and uh, it works pretty well. Um, I mean, it was meant to really be a premium camera, so it had the best autofocus available at the time mm-hmm. for, for, for a point and shoot. And it, um, but it's center point only. So you mm-hmm. can do the focus and recompose thing, but I've had pretty mixed luck with it. A lot of the time, it just doesn't come out the way I expected. Can you do focus lock? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So like, I'll, I'll do the, the center thing and then move. And- okay. But, but yeah, like, it, like I'm saying, I just, it hasn't worked out that well. Like it just, it, it's missed focus too many times. I screwed it up and maybe it's my fault. I don't know, but it, mm. it happened enough times that, and honestly, I didn't even try that often. Like I did it a bunch and like, this isn't working. So what I have gone to is like a lot of center composed, um, which is one of those ways that like the camera can really start to shape the, the shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so things the, all the ways that I think about shooting while I'm using that are based on this. So if I know that my aperture is going to leave me a pretty shallow depth of field, definitely center composed because I need the maximum uh, power out of the autofocus system. Yeah. Um, if I am in like bright sunlight, then I'll mm-hmm. usually try to uh, uh, close down the f-stop a bit so that I can just kind of get as much as possible. There's more like safety in the focus. If it didn't quite like if you know, if, if I am not going to have the person in the center or the subject in the center. Sure. Um, and then the other component is using the flash on it. I really like, since I'm putting, you know, cheap rolls of film in there and I Mm -hmm. really like that point and shoot look. Yeah. uh, I like to like just leave the flash on a lot. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Um, Especially in daylight. The weirdest tip that, people give to beginners to me is like, if you want your photos to turn up better, just always turn off the flash. Yeah. And like, that is, <laughs> it is such a dangerous overgeneralization. This is not, is. this is not actually what you should be doing. There are many contexts in which like that would have turned out better if you turned, it, it would have looked more artistic if you had turned off the flash, yep. but it, you don't consistently get better results at all. But it would be more high art if you uh, turned the flash on. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, I mean, advice should be sometimes it's better to have a flash on, sometimes it's better not to, and you can only understand by learning. But I, well, and, and to that, I, I took that advice, you know, and so I, for, I don't know, probably my first four years of, of photography, I didn't use any flash at all ever. Oh, okay. And that How'd it work out for you. It went horribly, obviously. Right. Yeah. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I love flash, but I'm not very good at it, but I love it when it's appropriate. It's amazing. Well, and so it's basically if the, if the light isn't amazing, then turn your flash on for, for, for beginners. This isn't for yeah exactly. people, but that, that, that's more of the <laughs> advice that I'd give like middle of the day. Yeah. I mean, we were looking at, uh, uh, if you ever look at like a tourist photo spot. So, mm-hmm. you know, like in front of the Las Vegas sign where there's a lineup of people all day long, just getting their photos taken. And most of them are standing in completely overhead sunlight, you know, like midday light. This is where most photos in front of these places are taken and yeah. everybody looks terrible. It's just shadows under their eyes yeah. and like they, their faces are almost black. Like you can't even see these people. Mm-hmm. And if you just turned your flash on, that'd be so much better of a picture. Oh um, yeah. Like infinitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except that I guess that a lot of people are using cell phones now and those don't fill the sunlight much at all. Yeah. The light's just not powerful. Yeah. So, um, so uh, other than that though, but if you have a real camera, uh, yeah, just turn on your flash. It really can do you some favors. Yeah. Check it out at least, you know, see what it does. Um, and to that, uh, I actually wanted to share something with our listeners as a great example of, using daylight flash so i'm gonna share it with you and okay. it's it's this guy i found on Flickr. It's, uh I, i'm gonna i'm gonna butcher his name but it's parent nicolason something like mm-hmm. that and you know i found this guy totally on accident but like man it's cool it's really super cool street like bright harsh flash you know and it like i believe he's in like alaska so it's you know the the light there is already weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, these are great. All black and white, or mostly, mostly, yeah. But they're yeah, it's super cool stuff. Yeah, that's and, really uh, nice. And I think most of it is is on film as well. That's something um, I'd love to improve at is um, balancing artificial light outside. Yeah, because I know I know the theory of it. Like I know exactly how it's supposed to work. And usually when I've tried it, I'm just like, I just don't like it. Like, I'm just mm-hmm. not doing it. It doesn't look like the other people whose work I, I really enjoy. So, um, yeah, except for the direct flash thing, I, I can, I can pull that off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I almost feel like that's the, kind of the only way I like to do it mm-hmm. is the direct flash thing. But I, I guess maybe just because like, you know, like I look at somebody like, uh, our friend, Brian Powell, it was just so, so good at using artificial light in any condition. Right. You know, like he just gets it, you know, he knows. Ex- and, you know, like you, you, if you ever get the opportunity to, to shoot with him, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome to watch the wheels turn because you can just see him calculating everything. <laughs> and then he just sets it up and does it and it works. And it's like, oh, it's so- I need to spend a week just practicing that, you know, shooting mm-hmm. for no purpose. There's so many things that I need to need to do this just before the show started we were talking about uh, my suggestion for a topic was like let's talk about our weaknesses 
<laughs> and then we decided that'd be a kind of boring thing to do a whole show around. So I'll just yeah. inject mine <laughs> into <laughs> yeah. the middle of it. It was that I'd love to spend some serious time just practicing lighting really large environments, like dealing with areas bigger than what just a couple of strobes can fix. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, especially indoors is where I'm thinking of it. Cause then you have, you have to do more of the work, but the same applies to out- outdoors. Um, I've gotten really, I, I feel like I'm pretty confident and comfortable in lighting a portrait in lighting mm-hmm. a studio situation and like making one or two people look great. Right. But big rooms, you know, like any Lebois style, uh, like large areas. Yeah. It's really. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a challenge that I, I think takes some time to, to master a lot of time. Yeah. I kind of wonder like why somebody hasn't created, you know, like a digital lighting model system, you know, like a, a, a piece of software that you could, you know, like put in the, the size of a room, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like, you know, virtually place lights in places and see like how that would affect the light in that room. Yeah. There, well, there's lighting diagram makers, right. But mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know of any that actually have like 3d modeling to generate lights and stuff. That'd be pretty, that'd be really fun. Yeah. I think it would. Cause I mean, cause like imagine like if you're, you know, cause you could utilize pre pre visualization so much better, you know, oh cause if God, you, yeah. you know, if you had the idea in your head and then you, you know, you could create the model, you know, now then you, 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 you know, you understand exactly like mathematically, like where you're going to put things. And you were, you were so right. I don't know why I'm not more frustrated that this doesn't exist. Like <laughs> people have done little little lighting demos online like i've seen things where it's like here here's a face and you can move three points of light around it to see how it'll affect the face but all of them are geared towards just like learning the basics of photography mm-hmm. I, it would be great to have something for professionals to be get to do pre vis stuff like mm-hmm. in in cinema right like if you're going to make a movie you do a whole layer of pre-visualization where you plan everything out mm-hmm. in uh poorly rendered either hand-drawn or simpler composites and uh and that's how you plan what you're going to execute i'd love to be able to do that with photography with some professional software yeah i mean i think that um it would obviously need to be very expensive (laughs) yeah well i mean adobe could handle it though yeah not that they do that kind of thing but yeah i think that well i think that it needs to come from somebody that you know i think it needs to come from somebody that's selling lights well, oh no, I was going to say, I, I think the perfect person would be Autodesk. Do you ever use any Autodesk software at all? Like you played with it? So, I don't know. Have I? They, they make AutoCAD. Um, oh yeah. I mean, I've, I've played with it. Yeah. And then they, they have started to have a lot more consumer products. Like they have a uh, one, two, three D catch is mm-hmm. one of the cool iPhone apps. And that'll like, you can um, use your phone to, to scan objects. Uh, mm. by taking photos from all sides. And then it sends it, this is the ge- genius part. It sends it to the AutoCAD servers that crunch away on it on super computers and send it back to you. And so AutoCAD has been getting really good at stuff like that, like consumer products that don't have the software running locally. It runs somewhere else to do something kind of clever. But so could you then take, put it into a 3d printer and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, so that's what you can do. That's what you can do with the, the, 3d catch app love it so you can like scan your face and then order a keychain dongle or whatever <laughs> send it to your your crush yeah it's really fun when i got that app i 
yeah, I spend a lot of time making 3D everything. Unfortunately, it's not super consistent. There's usually a hole in the object, but just try it. Like it's free. You'll be you'll be amazed. Awesome. But what were we talking about? We were, we're talking about things that we software. want to improve, improve upon. Oh uh, yeah. And then we, we we turned it into a software conversation. <laughs> I want to improve on my software use. Oh wait, while we're on software, I, I don't remember <laughs> if I mentioned this in another episode, but I want to start saying it once a week until somebody goes out and does it. Mm-hmm. But I need an iPhone app that is all it does is let you apply LUTs to images and videos. Mm. Um, and have we talked about LUTs? I'm not sure if that's a thing you're familiar with or not. Actually, it's I, I still don't really. Like when you say it, I don't remember what it means, but like you're the only, you're the only person I've ever heard say the word. So yes, it's, I've heard you say that word. For, for video people, it's really a, a common word, um, mm-hmm. but it, it is a, the more I've used it for video, I feel like this should be the, the thing that we're all using to do all of our software work. So um, it's really quick definition. It's, it's LUT stands for lookup table and it's basically like a Lightroom preset. Like it's exactly the same as like mass and labs or VSEO, just like a little text file basically with a bunch of commands of like how to process an image, you know, take your reds and move them 20% this way, blah, 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 blah. It's long list of commands of how to adjust any image. And then you can apply it to any video. So in video software, this means like, all of the different software supports these same little LUT files. So you can mm-hmm. do it in Final Cut or in Premiere or in Avid or DaVinci. All of the programs that you would use to color your videos use the exact same files and they'll behave the same way no matter where you are. And they're just right. they're very simple little text files. Like they take mm-hmm. up virtually no space. And it seems to me this would be very easy to apply on a phone. Um, and if you started using the same things for your photography in your video, I, like it would be great. And you could do a cross platform. So like, let's say all of the VSCO filters were using LUTs as the, the mm-hmm. file format. It means that like, you wouldn't just on the phone, you wouldn't have to download the app and then always use VSCO to apply the presets using like the internal stuff. You'd have these little command files and you could apply them in any software that used them. So on your desktop, you'd have the exact same processing as you would on your phone, as you would in your videos. Like everything would be using the same technology, which is already universal in video. Yeah. So this is my call to action for developers. Like it I I know maybe it's hard to get you excited about it when like you're not using No, it makes it makes perfect sense though. But you get it, right? It's like it's it's like a generalized Lightroom preset that can be read by more things. Like you can use your Lightroom presets to generate LUTs, but you can't. You can't do it the other way. Um, so for mm-hmm. right now, okay, so. man. That I mean, I wonder if that would actually make it more interesting to me. You know, if yeah. that was a reality, because then you know, like when I'm shooting video on my on my phone, maybe I you know, if you can make get it look like exactly the same. Yeah. As, as your other stuff. And the way that people make these as well is a lot of the time they will be customized to the camera. So right. like it, you know that you have a Nikon camera and a Canon camera that you're shooting your video with and they're not going to match. So first you apply a lot that neutralizes the look of each of mm-hmm. them to make them look the same. <laughs> and then you put your filter LUT on each of them, right? That has like a look and now they both 
they both look the same and then have the same filter on top. So you can match footage or photos from totally different cameras. So you can match your iPhone video photo to your Fuji uh, T100 or whatever it's called. Um, <laughs> X100. X100. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't know. That's my vision for the future. We just, we just lost awesome. our Fuji scholarship or our Fuji. <laughs> whatever. I stopped paying attention to Fuji when my, uh, when mine stopped working properly, which is actually right beside me. Oh, my XE one. It's been sitting on this table unused for far too long. Oh, yuck. So I guess I should talk about what I need to work on. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so it's 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 kind of a weird mix because like I I feel like you know like a couple of years ago I had gotten really good at lighting and uh, applying it for for things that were that were asked for you know client needs doing theater promo, promo posters and stuff like that you know and then more late and recently like I just I haven't really been interested in using lights and so like I've really kind of um, let it slide. And so I think that I should, that's what I should be working on, but I still don't care. So, um, instead of working on that, like I went and bought another camera. Um, and it is a really classic medium format. It's called the Voigtlander baby Bessa. I've never heard of this, but it looks really cool. Yeah, it's, it's super cool. It's, it's, I believe it is the smallest medium format camera that you can buy. Um, which is is perfect because you know I, I love my my Olympus XA, which is the smallest rangefinder camera you can buy. Mm-hmm. Um, this one though is is going to be a brand new challenge for me because um, it doesn't have metering, and it also you have to guess the focus. Mm. Um, and so these are two things that like I think that in the digital age we take for granted so hard. Um, and it's you know it's it's one of those things that like in in uh, in film photography groups you know like I reached out to this Facebook group and and asked everybody like you know what do you guys use for metering and and focusing and and they're like well I mean why did you buy that camera you know <laughs> you know like you you just you, you guess that's the whole point you mm-hmm. know like you just know you know there was just like it. a lot of yeah there was this like arrogance you know and it's like you just know well, and it's I'm the like, thing oh, that well, it's like the thing that will make us spend a few thousand dollars to upgrade our 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 main camera right mm-hmm. because the focus got better and the the light balance or um the metering got better mm-hmm. but then just to throw it all like to go back to ground uh, ground zero with it well and i mean i think that that's you know, I, I, you have to stay interested in in the entire art, right? And like for me, it's you know a part of a great, a big part of what why I like doing this so much is I just like the tools. I like mm-hmm, to play mm-hmm. with them; they're fun toys. Exactly. You know, it's actually I was talking to my son, and he you know yesterday, and he asked me like, you know, Daddy, if you could be a kid again, would you? And I'm like, nah. And he's like, why not? And I'm like, well, I, I would be young again, you know. And he's like, well, but not a kid. And I'm like, no, you know, like. 20s or something and he's like oh and he's like he's like but you you couldn't play with toys and i'm like oh son (laughs) (laughs) you have no idea yeah like i play with toys more than you do (laughs) the toys just get better yeah yeah and you know i think that um what you know for us as as working photographers i think that you know you get so used to all of the you know the the bells and whistles that that are coming in our cameras and making our our practical job much more 
you know, easy and, and not, not even easy, but just possible, you know, because uh, obviously the uh, the competition, the state, then just the state of photography is is so advanced now mm-hmm. that you know if you don't have the tools to 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 do everything that you need to do while working a job, then like you're not going to deliver the, the product that's expected. Oops. So have you have you tried this yet, or you, no, is this just yet. all your thought process about how you're going to approach it? Yeah, it's totally my thought process, and and part of that is that um, you know when I got my my most recent uh, Yashica mat, you know, like the the meter seemed like it was probably broken, you know, and it turns out that it that it seems like it's fine. I don't know why it it felt broken at first. Um, I think I was I was doing some readings on it, and it just seemed like it was always the needle was never hitting the, the the midpoint it was always under and, and so the first the first time i went out and shot with it I, I took my xa along with or not my xa my um my x100s with me and did shots on that and then just you know copied this the settings and applied it to the it works. yeah um and uh, you know i might start with that method with this voigtlander as well just because it's the only thing that's really terribly obvious to me um you know, but I don't know. I, I just, you know, it was a challenge and it was just that idea of like, you know, oh, can I tell like how far five feet is? Can I tell how far mm-hmm. one foot is? Mm-hmm. I don't um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's an interesting challenge, you know, and w- when you realize all of a sudden that like you, you can't see through the lens. Right. I saw a really great example of this that I'm probably not going to spend enough time looking forward to putting the show notes, but I'll just describe it is this great video of some guys doing some urban exploration in the, uh, train systems of New York through Mm. closed down subway lines. And so they're doing, you know, they're in very illegal places Yeah, and, uh, he's shooting with 5d. Um, but he's like, you know, running across train tracks and some of them are live and there's potentially security after them at any moment. So he's not, he can't, hold the video camera up to his head. So he did the whole thing, like just wedged into his arm, um, looking down and judging the distance for the focus. And you could never tell wow. looking at it. And I was like, wow, like you can do that. And um, he talked about it a bit in just the comments of the video. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, if you just go do it, you'll f- like, you'll figure it out. It's just the way that you learn, right? Like if you've learned to do it another way, that's what you're used to. But I've been spending a lot of time focusing this way and because of that i've been getting better and better at it so that's really cool mm-hmm. and i feel like that with using the uh the the olympus xa the rangefinder, like mm-hmm. you do you know because you're 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 actually looking a lot of the time i'm actually looking at the distance to see you know where it is because it's like i'm using the rangefinder, and that's already so much different than using you know a, an slr mm-hmm. um and if you're not used to it it's it's awkward you know, and um, and so then you know I'll just you know every now and then I'll just remember to look at the distance, but not often enough because I still don't have any idea. Right. You know, it still feels like you know going blind. It's pretty interesting though to ask that question to to a large group and and you know see what some people's solutions were. Like a lot of people um, pointed to you know like hardware store stuff, like um, you know like a digital distance meter. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be uh, interesting. Yeah, and uh, you know the the unfortunate thing is that um, to buy one that's actually reliable, it, you know, you have to spend at least fifty dollars, okay, and yeah. maybe, you know, like one guy posted a, uh, it was a Leica 
digital meter, distance meter. And it was like, of course, it was like 200 bucks or something. Yeah. Just because it was like, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I have a cheaper solution that I was using with the, um, with the Hasselblad mm. that we shoot with occasionally. And uh, I got mixed results with it, but it was a good idea. And I don't know where I got it. I think I read it online. Anyway, I took a string. <laughs> <laughs> uh measured out the that it was the maximum distance right it went to like the the furthest marked distance on the lens all and right. then all of the other primary marks i just stuck a really small piece of tape so that when i i can just keep the string nearby stick it on the camera hold it out and i know that these marks are this distance so because i was i was just having a lot of trouble focusing it the it's a really dim viewfinder Mm, so yeah, this was my shortcut to like, okay, get the person three feet away. This is, or you know, um, and this is a really quick way to know. So you just have eye. them hold the string or yeah, just hold it up to their eye. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I didn't, I still didn't get that much in focus, but I know it was a good idea. Uh, but I was also shooting, I think too shallow depth of field for that to really have been reliable. I mean, I was on a medium format and I ended up shooting at like F4 a lot uh, yeah. and with people too close. <laughs> uh so I think that was my own fault but that was another comment is that people were like well i mean you know you're supposed to shoot these stop down yeah. you know shoot it at like f8 and yeah, well, you know at, at this time when these cameras were made you would it was you would want to shoot stopped down as mm-hmm. often as possible the goal was always to have as much as you could in nice. focus Right. And it was like the seventies or something when fashion photography got people excited about bokeh and, and getting less in focus. But that's a new idea. Like you don't have to do that. Right. It's it's really interesting because I think that, you know, these days it's you know, I think it's it's the rage, I guess, you know, still. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, while I, I appreciate some some nice bokeh as much as anyone else, like I, I also recognize that like there's only you know, a handful of lenses that I really appreciate it with. And the rest of the time, I'd rather just see it, you know, like the intentions in the photo right. rather yeah. than, rather than like, I think the oh, truth look, is more bokeh. <laughs> the truth is too, that if you flip through uh, any publication with a lot of professional photographers work, you, mm-hmm. you'll see a, a huge balance. It's not primarily going to be bokehlicious. Yeah, totally not. Um, but online or on Flickr or in forums or, uh, in like, you know, photographer communities where everyone there is a photographer. That's yeah. where the obsession comes from, I think. Mm-hmm. But the, the actual large, like the, the big professionals out there do not fixate on this. Right. And that's, I'm, I'm kind of curious about that. And also like, I think that the, you know, the market plays into that as well. Right. Because we, you know, we're told, you know, like the most expensive lenses to buy are the really fast ones. Yeah. One point um, yeah. So like, of course, you know, you're going to, you know, well, what's the benefit of, of these fast lenses? And it's like, well, for one, you can shoot in nothing in focus. situations. <laughs> yeah. And for two, you can <laughs> shoot with nothing in focus and you can have these, these really, you know, lovely circles mm-hmm. in, in blurred areas. And, you know, I think that, that most lenses don't really work that out very well. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the the, the fifty one point twos um, that I've seen most of the time, if it's shot at one point two, I'm not really into it. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's got a lot of coma, and you know, it's just it's all foggy and shitty looking, and I'm just not really. Yeah, I don't know. Now, ha- having said that, you know, uh, 
do the exact same thing with with the Sigma art lens and much and better it's, results. It's so gorgeous. Although I will still add anytime we bring it up that I still always get a lot of out of focus at 1.4 and I don't shoot at it very often anymore. Why? What is wrong with you? I don't know. <laughs> Something I need to work on. <laughs> there you go. That's, I think that's your first most important thing. That you need to work on. Uh, I've been working on that for a while. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I, before we start running out of time, I still want to get to more of this, like shooting with guest distances. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and applying it to street photography. But the, I had started shooting street photography a lot like this because I got my, fr- my first camera was an Olympus. Um, the, and, and you know, that let me focus and was kind of what I was using for like professional in quotes stuff when I was starting. And then I got a Lomo LCA, which is similar to, to your new camera in that it, um, it just has little distance meters on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, and all of the, uh, advertising around Lomo, which I certainly bought into at the time was about shooting from the hip. So the idea is like, don't look into the camera as you're shooting. So just like kind of point it towards what you want and take candid photos, um, and just set the distance by looking at it. And you know what, if you set the expectation to yourself that that's what you're trying to do. I found the results can be really interesting. Like if you're like, it's okay for something in this photo to be blurry and that I don't know exactly what it'll be. And you, um, close down the F stop as much as you can afford to. Um, I don't know. It's a really freeing way to shoot. Like it feels, it feels good. Um, and, uh, it also, what you end up doing is you get people to move further away. So you just shoot people that are, shoot subjects that aren't as close because you know, you have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I found it really fun at the time. Uh, so the, my solution when I was using a camera like this often was to create an environment where I don't need to worry about the focus as much. Nice. Um, because it's more likely to be off. Yeah, I, I I remember trying to do that um, for a little while, and it was mostly because I was a tourist in Europe, and I was really self conscious about pointing my camera at people with them knowing. And so I was shooting from the hip, and man, all those pictures were just awful. <laughs> yeah, nothing turned out. Nothing. No, I don't think. I think I probably got like one shot that I liked, and it was it was of my feet stepping in a puddle. Well, I'm also going by memory and. I probably thought the photos were better at the time than I would now. <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll go dig through these and see if I'm right at all. Yeah. I mean, I love the idea. You know, I think it, you know, you can capture some things that seem really cool, you know? Um, yeah, but I don't know. I, I also, I kind of, I don't know. I'm conflicted because I, I also like having to, to engage with people to, to be able to take a photo of them. Well, and this is something that I like the advice that some people have of using like top down viewfinders you know, mm-hmm. as in what a lot of house spots have. Yeah. Um, Cause you can stand there and look out at your subjects and then just be looking down at your camera, which it has two awesome benefits. Like you're, you're much more present in the environment because nothing's blocking your face. And mm-hmm. also you're, it's more discreet because people can't really tell what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> they have no idea. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like the idea of that technique. I don't, I've never really applied it, but I've seen other people doing it and it, I think it's a great idea. Well, I mean, that's that's the the idea behind the the Yushika as well, the yeah. TLRs, yeah. you know. And I, I I haven't I honestly have never used it 
in that way. Um, but I like the idea. Hmm. But I, I feel like focusing is, is you know, like I, I'm just, yeah, it goes back to that problem. Yeah, I'm really bad at focusing the, that camera. The, the, in my case, the Hasselblad, I just, the foof. I don't know. My problem is I should, I should take it back out, follow my own advice, stop it down. Uh, don't let people get too close to the lens. <laughs> That's what I'm the, but the, you know, my problem is, is that like, you know, when I'm shooting the Shika, I'm usually shooting like 100 speed film or something, you know? And so I almost never get to shoot the thing. But why do you shoot 100? Why wouldn't you just put 400 in it? Well, because they don't make Ektar in 400. <laughs> oh. well, there's another problem. Um, or, you know, because, uh, you know, I happen to buy a five pack of Portra 160 and not 400. Mm-hmm. You know? um, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that's just something I can, I can work on. We should just make a, instead of doing an episode about stuff to work on, let's, we should make it a segment. <laughs> Things we're not good at. Yeah. I like that idea. Um, so I wanted to ask um, mm-hmm. before we're finished with the the street photography is like who do you who do you enjoy that's like both okay pick one um, historical street photographer and one modern I don't follow either I don't <laughs> I don't have any examples I mean I've seen things that I enjoy. I don't keep track of photographers. I just don't know them. I mean, I like, uh, who's the one I brought up recently? Um, the woman that Vivian Meyer, Vivian Meyer. <laughs> she's wonderful. She's amazing. Okay. You, you go and I'm going to do some Googling while you talk. All right. So I knew nothing of street photography and I personally, you know, frankly, I was always kind of baffled by why people thought it was so incredible. Um, obviously, uh, Cartier Brisson was, you know, like, a master, you know, I mean, it's undisputable or indisputable. Um, but it wasn't until one of my friends dragged me out to, you know, the national gallery of art in DC and to see a Gary Winogrand exhibit. And, um, you know, like as we're like coming in, I'm reading the, 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 you know, the plaques and, you know, telling his story. And this guy shot so many pictures. Like, you know, like I, I think that he had, literally had thousands of roles undeveloped when he died. Um, and this guy just kept going and going and going, you know? And so like, you know, my initial thought was like, how is any of this going to be good? <laughs> you know, cause it's like, it's so dense mm-hmm. that like, I just couldn't, I couldn't imagine that many great photo- photos out of all that. And, um, you know, then we started walking through and I was just like, I was just amazed like at how like this guy saw things and, um, it really, it opened my eyes to the, to the, um, to the beauty and the opportunity that existed on the street. And so, um, it really makes sense that my, my current favorite street photographer now is, uh, one of our Stocksy guys is Greg Schmiegel mm-hmm. who can't, you know, submit any of his <laughs> most awesome street photography to, to the Stocksy, unfortunately, but man, his, like his Instagram, which, um, is, it's at just what IG. Um, so J U S T W H A T I G. Um, man, what a cool Instagram. So cool. And he, he processes is it almost, ju- is, it, is it just what I see? That's just what I got when I Googled him. 
Yeah, that well, that's his Twitter, right? So, uh-huh. but but his um, no, just his, what I see dot com. Yeah, well, that's his that's his website. Oh, okay. He's he's got a lot going on. He's got Flickr pages. He's got like, but his his super awesome Instagram is just what I g. Oh, so I for Instagram, oh, okay, right? Okay, okay, so okay. just what I Instagram. Um, so good, <laughs> so so good. Like some days, I just I look at it and I'm like, I don't get it. Like, how are you not like? Well, I guess he is pretty well known, actually. <laughs> but I mean, um, I think it's with that with that kind of photography. It's not until long after you're gone that you really get the the praise and the love. This so. taking a look at this reminds me of one last thing I want to bring up like, mm-hmm. that I just have to want to say when I think about street photography. Why is it the most commonly black and white style of photography? Do you like, do you know what I mean? <clears throat> yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, okay. I think that, like, historically, uh, you can just guess that it was because... But historically, golf photography was black and white. Yeah, totally. That doesn't even... It's it's just really... It's really common now that street photographers are shooting in black and white, much more well, so than any other genre of photography, I think. I think maybe, and, uh, you know, just maybe, <laughs> um, it's because, it you know, you when you remove all the colors, you know, there's a lot of, you know, sensory and... Um, recognizable stuff that that hap- that's going on in the in the backgrounds distracts from whatever it is that the right. the photographer intended. Right, because they're already busy photos. It focuses them a little. Maybe? I think I think that might be it. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I, and I, also, I think that a lot of times on the street, you know, just because of the way that that cities are situated, there's interesting contrast, right? And in in a lot of cases, the color just might not look good. Um, whereas in black and white, all of a sudden you're like, wow, that looks great. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I really don't know the yeah. answer for sure. I mean, yeah. no. those are my hunches. I'm going to leave it as a mystery. I, I, I still just always shoot color almost always for everything ever. So, well, and to that, your color street work with that contacts is, is gorgeous. So well, it's nice you. yeah. Um, <laughs> let's let that lead into stuff we're into. Uh, and, and I have one that I, I want to say before I forget, it's a small one that recently like a, or sorry, like Lomo announced mm-hmm. that you can get the LCA lens for, um, SLRs. So the, the, like the LCA is the classic Lomo camera. It's really what a Lomo is mm-hmm. in a way. And, um, now they've taken off the, the, uh, the the classic little Russian lens from that thing and stuck it on a mount. And so you can get that same look on a, on a real camera. And it's not at, the, at this moment, I don't think people have them in their hands. So I haven't seen a lot of samples from it, but mm-hmm. I loved that lens. Like it's really, really vignette and really contrasty and kind of beautiful. And especially for things like uh street style photography, like it's kind of perfect. So I, um, and I, th- I think it's pretty affordable too. So it's, it's definitely worth a look. I will be tempted to get one for sure. Yeah, that's cool. Um, <clears throat> but that's not my real pick. Do you have a pick? Um, well, I think what I, you know, so what I'm into right now is, is Ektar. So that's pretty boring. We've already talked about that, but um, yeah, I just, I got this roll back just this week and you saw some of the results and, I was just like, wow, that's so cool. Um, so anyway, I'll just talk about some records that, that I've been enjoying. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I was really surprised because generally, like, you know how you hear about a band and you hear the name and you think like, man, that sounds like some hipster bullshit. Mm-hmm. And you're just not, you, you don't want to like it just because it feels like the kind of thing. It's like Mumford and Sons, you know, it's like, <laughs> there's nothing anyone can ever do to make me like that band. I hate that band. Oh, right. Anyway, so I heard of... Alienating uh, viewers, listeners once again. Sorry, guys. <laughs> no offense. It's just my personal taste. Um, so anyway, I heard the name Alabama Shakes and I was like, I'm not going to like it. And, uh, then, you know, one of my friends is like, no, you got to check it out and you got to check it out. And I've been listening to it all week. It's just so good. (laughs) (laughs) And the record is called sound and color. So I definitely recommend it. It's awesome. Um, and the other one I've been listening to this week is by a relatively unknown, um, metal band and they're called elder. And the record is called Lore. And if you like heavy music, um, it's it's very uh, it's very listenable. It's it's easy to engage with. It's not too extreme. And um, I like I like it extreme. But this one this one I find to be quite palatable. So if you're if you're curious about heavy music but afraid, <laughs> this might be, be a gateway. Thing. Yeah. All right. Well, you got to send me links to all this stuff. Absolutely. And the uh, also all the photographers that I need to learn about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will do that. Um, my thing I got into was, uh, so I've kind of been e- into it on the internet for a while, but I finally jumped in with a purchase mm-hmm. is I got my, uh, my first automatic meaning fully mechanical watch, uh, on, on our last trip. <laughs> so this awesome. is exciting. And, and, you know, makes me think of, of all the old cameras that we're into. It's, um, we, if you, I'd been kind of waiting for an Apple watch. Like this is what I, I I wanted to want one, but I kind of had to see how it was. So I hadn't been buying any, uh, any, any watches for a long time and which I I like having, I don't have a lot of them, but I was waiting. It came out. I don't know. It's not something I need. So I, I went down and got a, uh, Hamilton, which is, uh, uh, they used to make a lot of military watches. And they're kind of a, a more affordable entry point for for, for an all mechanical watch, um, but I just love the idea of a completely self-contained machine mm-hmm. that you know it, it runs itself, like like a like a Leica M6, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, no batteries required ever. Uh, the, you know, it, there's just a spring mechanism that winds itself as you move your wrist throughout the day. And I love watching it because it has an open back. So you can just watch the watch operate. Oh, cool. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm really excited to, to finally have one. Most, most automatic watches start being pretty expensive. Like there aren't a lot of nice, uh, affordable ones, but, um, mm-hmm. but you know, um, I felt like I had to get in somewhere cause I, just really love the idea of this, of, of like, it's just machinery. Mm-hmm. You know, if you took it apart, you could look at every piece in there and you could figure out what it was doing. Um, which is not the case with something that's electronic based, like a quartz watch. Right. Um, and then the other thing I learned as I'm, as I'm researching these is like the way to spot if a watch is mechanical or yeah, quartz based mm-hmm. is to take a look at the second hand and, the the ticking on an automatic watch will be really fast and basically smooth. 
So mm-hmm. instead of like tick, 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 right, it's every just second, it's like, yeah. tick, 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 tick. so there's like four really small ticks per second, or I don't know if there's four, I can't, it's going too quick to count, but um, it's basically a fluid movement. So yeah, anyway, I'm really, I'm, I'm happy to have this cool new watch and I, it sounds awesome. I'm, I'm just, I'm happy that you said it was a mechanical watch and not an, an eye watch. <laughs> yeah. Does that make, does that make you happy? Why would you have made fun of me if I'd gotten an Apple watch? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not trying to alienate more people. I just, I, I still I, want an Apple watch someday. I just, from it, from everybody's discussions of them, it seems like they're not, they're still at the very much like a, a luxury toy stage and mm-hmm. not a necessary integration into our lives. So, well, they're still like terribly unattractive. <laughs> so I've heard. Yeah. Like um, I, I just you know, like I've yet to see see one on somebody. So I, I don't. I'm just judging by pictures and 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 whatnot. But like they just look dumb to me. They look like silly toys. Oh well. I mean, they're, they're very they are, they are silly toys, but yeah, and and very technologically advanced silly toys, but. Um, to give it some credit, but ugh, so I'm, st- I'm still curious where they're going to be in three or four years. I think, I think they're going to be a lot less nerdy and <clears throat> more widely accepted, but maybe when the iPhone where when the iWatch replaces the iPhone and you can use it as a phone. Right. And when when no, it has no, no, a hologram that, a screen that, not, that lifts above no, the no, watch, no, 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 so you that's can not see what's going to happen. What, when it's going to be useful is when it's going to look as good as a as a real watch, mm-hmm. and it's going to be the same price as an entry level regular watch, and it's going to be just as thin, and the battery will last so long that you never worry about it. And it's it, it'll never become the most important thing. It just needs to be priced and accessible like the the toy that it is just as like a bonus accessory in your life if you feel like it, but it's not going to become the phone. The The biggest argument for why it will never be really important is it is necessarily a one handed operation. You could uh-huh. never use two hands to interact with it. Right. Um, but I don't know. It, 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 I think someday it could be a better toy. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Fair enough. But we'll see. Anyway, yeah. I'm not buying one. (laughs) (laughs) Send me all those links and uh, you guys listening can check them out at the show notes, which uh, you can go to cameras or whatever.com and everything is there. Yeah. And if you want to follow Cameron on the internet, you can find him at, you can find me (laughs) at, where am I? You need a quick answer to this. I know it's CameronWhitman.com. Bam. CameronWhitman.com. And uh, I'm Stallman.com and Stallman on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks for listening.